0: It's really here, wonderful to hear some sweet gospel singing. And it's wonderful to appreciate the opportunity to gather and to assemble the way we are today. Gary did such a fantastic job reminding us of certain elements in safety, and we, we want to keep all those things in mind. But isn't it sweet to appreciate that the love of each of us gathered here today and the understanding we have of striving to not only be safe, but to do that which is pleasing unto God— And it would be wise, it would seem to me, to express uh, a word of appreciation to our elders. The leadership that they're providing for us during this time, it's not easy. They're having some difficult decisions to make, many discussions that take place over long, protracted periods of time, and yet their conviction relative to the decisions they've made and the connection that those things have made to the Word of God is certainly, certainly something that we should thank them for. The lesson today for the next few moments this Sunday morning attaches around one word I've asked you to consider with me. And Brother Gary read from Revelation 2 just a moment ago. If you'd be turning to that chapter, we'll be in fact revisiting a couple of the verses in it as we proceed through the lesson this morning. This next slide is one that is not anything surprising. We all know what an announcement is. We're used to it pretty often, aren't we? Maybe at work the boss or the manager has an announcement for all of the employees about some new policy or something new that's going to be taking place. On the other hand, sometimes a couple will make an announcement. They're engaged. We understand what an announcement is. Sometimes a child will make an announcement to his or her parents. Dad, Mom, I tried out for the tennis team and I made it point is, an announcement, as you can see, I've tried to define a couple of ways, one of which is this, to make known something new in a formal way. Or on the other hand, to officially tell people something new, or at least to tell information about something. Again, the concept of an announcement is easy. But aren't you interested to know that we utilize them in connection to the services of the church? Every single time before a service begins, be it our usual Sunday morning worship, be it the Sunday evening worship, be it the Wednesday evening Bible study, when those things are occurring, there's always a gentleman that makes some announcements to us. Think with me for a moment this morning about announcements In that connection. I first began preparing this sermon long before the COVID-19 matter reached the height in which it currently is. And I modified it some over the last little bit because I thought it did have, in fact, something to say about the features connected to today. It goes something like this as we begin. I basically chose to deliver the lesson based on Revelation 2 in such a way that it offers us a continuing anchor a continuing basis upon which to found the solidity of our faith and the nature of our conviction in the things of God. Consider some announcements. You know, I particularly chose some announcements. Before this particular virus began, perhaps the following announcements would not have been unusual to have been made just prior to the service in many particular places in the brotherhood. Here's a couple of them. There will be a teacher appreciation dinner on Tuesday at 6.30 p.m., and all teachers of the past year more than welcome to come and certainly invited to do so. Well, that's a fine announcement. Here's another one. Those members of our congregation who, again, are somewhat more advanced in years, they have their group that meets, and they're meeting this coming Thursday, and they have a trip planned to eat out lunch at a particular local restaurant. Or here's another one. The pantry items for this week are mac and cheese and tuna. The point is, those are fine announcements in that they make known something which a congregation might well find an opportunity to assist or at least consider. But you'll notice, if I've asked you to consider those things on the slide, sometimes our announcements are somewhat different than that. Brother so-and-so is under the weather and is unable to be with us today. Sister so-and-so continues her recovery from surgery and still is asking for prayers, but is unable to be with us today. Those kind of announcements aren't that unusual, and we understand the nature, certainly, of each one of them. But I'd like you to transport in your mind back to Revelation 2 what might have been some announcements that would have taken place in the congregations of which we're about to read here. I've pointed you at the bottom of that slide to this. Let's read verses 9 and 10, and perhaps then we'll make an observation of what might well have been some announcements made on the first day of the week in the church at Smyrna, roughly 1,930 years ago. "'I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich, and I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not.' But are the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. It might very well have been stated on that Sunday morning in a church at Smyrna there might well have been a cloud of uncertainty resting over that congregation because as the Roman oppression was increasing in its intensity, some brother might have stood up before that service began and said, this may well be the last time all of us are able to gather like this. We have just recently learned that the oppression is such that some of us are going to be cast into prison. Some of us may be put to death. This side of heaven, this may be the last time that gentleman may have said that all of us are going to be meeting like this. He may have offered words of exhortation. When the Roman soldiers come, this perhaps might be some things you can say. This might be perhaps some things you should never do to agitate them. Some of us are going to be cast into prison. We don't know how long that's going to last. Think about the nature of those kind of announcements they certainly are a little different than the air of some of those that we noted earlier today. But not only the church at Smyrna. What about the one at Pergamos? Brother Gary just read about this one. May I begin reading again in verse 13. I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. And thou holdest fast my name and hast not denied my faith, even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr." who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. Can you perhaps imagine that on a Sunday morning, right before the services started at the Pergamus Church of Christ, a gentleman might have stood up, gathered the attention of those in presence and said, I know, good brothers and sisters, the air and the nature of what we just saw this past week. Unfortunately, our blessed brother Antipas, he was killed last Monday and many of us saw it. We saw the Romans in as much as they first of all hauled him and his wife away and took their lives. And that leads me, the gentleman might have said to this next announcement, Brother Antipas and his wife had two children. They now need to be adopted. Anybody who would have the capability of doing that, please see one of the elders right after the service. Can you imagine the air of announcements that would have been directed along ways like that? No doubt about it, Pergamos, you'll notice it was said to be the place where Satan's seat was. It was a particularly intense area because the Romans had a great deal of interest in that region, and this church suffered mightily. What about the church at Thyatira? A little, a little bit later in the same chapter, verse number 20, notwithstanding I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest of that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication, and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Some gentlemen, we're certainly not under the illusion, everybody in Thyatira supported what this Jezebel was doing, but someone may have stood up and said, Today I have a very sad announcement to make. Our elders, upon careful discussion and consultation, they've tried to talk to this Jezebel and those that have followed her and those that have been engaging in these activities, and they have decided today, after a great deal of prayer and after a great deal of personal effort to try and reach these individuals, here is the name of 31 people who must be disfellowshipped. We've got to withdraw fellowship from them in the hope that they might come to understand this is not what God has approved. The gravity of such announcements like that overwhelm the character of these opening book natures of the books of Revelation, doesn't it? It is with that in mind, why don't we close that slide and say this. Clearly there's a great deal of difference between the kind of announcements that might have been made then and the kind of announcements that at least are somewhat common today. May I offer a few observations? observations that, again, I would hope would direct you and me to a place of greater faithfulness and appreciation for the intensity of what the Bible presents to us. It begins like this. I've entitled it, Threats to the Church. When our Savior made His promise to build the church in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Did you notice? Even the gates of hell would not stop it. Even the gates of hell would not prohibit it, would not cause it, in fact, to be less than what the Lord intended it to be. And we find in Acts chapter 2, it did begin exactly when the Lord affirmed that it would. In fact, in Acts 2.47, we find that those that were saved were added to the church. And therefore, the beautiful loveliness of the church, and it was fashioned in the nature of such that it had no flaws or blemishes, its design is absolutely perfect. That leads me to ask all of us, note this. Jesus Himself affirmed, my kingdom is not of this world, John 18, 36. When He was right in the presence of those trials that would lead to His own crucifixion, Pilate asked Him about the nature of the kingdom, and it was Jesus who said, My kingdom is just not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight you. But of course, the kingdom, the church, has as its primary focus what is not visible to, this, to, to, to our naked eyes. We look beyond. Now we know that we have concern for things that take place here, but our final destiny is not here. The next thing on that slide then is this. The church has faced threats sometimes very extreme. We've already noted some of these in the book of Revelation. But I'm reminded of the words of our Savior in John 16 too. On the night before He was crucified, He told the gathered apostles that were with Him. And of course, these were the very ones who in the weeks and months and years ahead were going to be those powerful elements beginning the church in the way that God intended it to go. And there in John 16, 2, Jesus said, I'm telling you the time is coming when men will kill you and think that they're doing God's service. They will think that this is the thing that should be done in the service of God to put you men to death. What do you and I think about that? People so misguided... So confused, so misdirected, they think that they, in fact, would be serving God by actually persecuting and killing the apostles. Jesus told them that was going to happen. Later, James was put to death in Acts chapter 12. We notice John, in the book of Revelation, had been exiled to the island of Patmos. Revelation 1, verses 10 and following... Maybe in all of that, that reminds us we are now about 20 centuries removed from events such as them. But look at the bottom. The devil has had the church at his sights ever since it was established. Again, it's that fine and remarkable organization. And even today, it is under great threat. And some of the threats are rather silent As individuals, let's say, are overcome by worldliness in their own hearts, so they individually are led astray, and that's terrible. But there are occasions when the church faces very open and very direct threats. Public ones that I've listed at the bottom... And as you and I can think about those kinds of threats, we're going to always utilize and remember the faithfulness of these events in Revelation. We want to be faithful like, of course, they were urged to be. We'll have more to say about that in just a moment. But this lesson, at least by observation, has begun. The church is going to face its threats. But thankfully, look at lesson two. Despite the threats, regardless how intense they were, the church continued. The church maintained. The church, in fact, progressed onward. Let's develop it like this. In Daniel 2.44, we aren't surprised, though, that such was to be the case because the prophet Daniel, as it was revealed to him, the nature of that dream and its interpretation, he explicitly was told that in the days of these kings, the Roman ones, shall the God of heaven establish His kingdom and it will never be destroyed. Now, if we take God's Word at face value, once that church was established, it has ever been. There's not been a time it's fallen out of existence. Now, there's no doubt sometimes that challenges were great and perhaps numbers were few. But it's almost like the days, at least in parallel to the days of Elijah. Elijah said, I'm the only one left, 1 Kings 19.4. God said, you're mistaken about that. I've got 7,000 people who have never bowed the knee to Baal. Elijah began to feel as though perhaps he was the only one remaining, and yet God said, my people number more than just one. No wonder in that connection, look at this. I wanted you to notice some of the words that I read in haste earlier, but they highlight a beautiful truth. Go back to the church at Smyrna again. Verse number 9 as well as verse number 10 of Revelation 2. Specifically in verse 10, the devil shall cast some of you into prison. We highlighted a moment ago that might well have been an announcement that was made prior to those services, but then it goes on like this. Ye shall have tribulation ten days. As we interpret the book of Revelation, that phrase ten days would appear to be figurative. In other words, it wasn't a literal week and a half period. We don't know how long it literally lasted but by the usage of the word ten, it seems to have been reasonably brief. But let's face it, even a few weeks in prison is not going to be pleasant, especially in a Roman prison. But whatever the duration was, Jesus said it's not going to last permanently. It will pass. The admonition to them in verse 10 was this you be faithful unto death. No matter what, you be faithful. So don't you notice that church in Smyrna continued onward even after that period of persecution, the admonition of faithfulness. Look at the next one. What about that church at Pergamos, verse 17? We've already told Antipas, they watched him put be put to death. But let's keep reading. Verse 17 says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone in the, st- and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. That church in Pergamos, as hard as their circumstances were, if you'll overcome two things, the manna and a white stone, both indicative of a home in heaven, both indicative of a right relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, both indicative of the blessing of God directed to them. For after all, that reference to manna. Consider with me the Old Testament. Who gave the children of Israel the manna? God did. Six days a week, you and I remember He faithfully provided it. Well, here He's promising, if you'll be faithful, you too will enjoy this unending manna. One more time, what about the church at Thyatira? Verse 26 And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. The forces that they were fighting against and the circumstances they were facing were not such that it inevitably led to their unfaithfulness. You can overcome this, he said. I would offer that we close that slide this way. The dark days that the church faced in the days of the Reformation... And to some extent, in various periods of the Restoration, perhaps takes us back to 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, 26. To that church in Corinth, in the midst of the first century, speaking of the Lord's Supper, He said, For as oft as you eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show, you proclaim the Lord's death till He come. That church, in the midst of such a wicked place, was going to be an open power of proclamation of the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ and the nature of His gospel. And you're going to proclaim this openly until He comes back. Now, today, I've never visited the church in Corinth. I've never even been to the city of Corinth. I don't know if there's a church still meeting there. But what we do know is this. The principle set forth there highlights that wherever, whenever the church of our Lord meets today, they openly proclaim in faithfulness the conviction of the Lord Jesus Christ and the nature of His gospel. All of that leads me to lesson three. The final one, really, of the lesson today, and it's a bit of an outlook, admittedly. As I mentioned earlier, I think Gary stated it so well Certainly there's danger attached to this virus. There's danger attached to the things it can bring about. And we certainly urge safety and precaution. But why don't we do this? As serious as this is, it is not going to shake the faith of the elect of God. It's not going to shake the faith of those convinced and convicted of the nature of the New Testament because 1 Peter 1.25 says, "...the word of the Lord endureth forever." be it captivity, be it viruses, be it world domination by evil powers, it is not going to quash the truth of God. And therefore, the Christian is a person of hope, a person of positive thrust, a person whose outlook, much like the people in Revelations Day, looked upon things with a view toward there's a power greater than us who is able to oversee these things. No wonder in that light, May we again summarize somewhat as we connect back to the first statement. The kind of announcements that you and I might easily consider and recognize today may be a far cry from what our brothers and sisters in Christ heard 20 centuries ago. They heard such different things of intensity and severity, sometimes even threat of death and loss of life. But yet, their faithfulness has been etched on the pages of the Word of God for centuries. And their faithfulness perhaps can serve to motivate us in similar ways, regardless what we're going to face, whether it be now or whether it be far worse. That faithfulness leads me to a few more verses, which I hope will be comforting, which I hope will be motivating. Why don't we begin with the famous statements of our Lord in John 16, In the world you shall have tribulation, but be not afraid. I have overcome the world. Now at first sight, one may think, well, that was what the Lord did. He overcame the world. But make no mistake, we quickly learn in other places, He said the power that rests in Him, He is more than willing and happy to share to those who are His children, the children of God, those who are members of the same family as He. You see in Romans 8, we learn rather quickly that you and I are sons of God by faith. And as such, the Lord is our elder brother. And we will inherit on that marvelous and grand day of judgment from that wonderful family known as the family of God. And therefore, we too, you see, have the blessedness of appreciating the overcoming power. But not only that one. In Second Timothy 3 verse 12, a reminder All who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. This virus, among other things, may cause many people to ask of you and I, so what is the nature of your faith that has led you to act in the way that you are? May we, following the leading of 1 Peter 3.15, be ready with this. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you, a reason of the hope that is within you with meekness and fear. But in addition to that, in 1 John 4, verse 4, the inspired writer John pointed out in such a positive light the nature of what what not only faced those of that day, but certainly can challenge us today as well. Speaking about the world, and speaking about the forcefulness which is sometimes to be evidently seen within it, greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. Do we believe that? Do we believe it? Greater is He that is in you. If you are a faithful child of God, then we are promised that the Spirit, in fact, is such that it has been bequeathed to us through the influence of the Word. Jesus Christ, in fact, through the same character dwells within us, Ephesians 3.17. And we again are in the family of God. One chapter later in 1 John 5, verse 4, that which overcomes the world, our faith. May we thus remain strong in faith. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And as that faith, in fact, grows, and in fact, develops even deeper roots in times of challenge, maybe it prepares us to close this slide like this. And what a statement of comfort it is. Paul speaking about his own circumstances, and the nature of what, in fact, he quickly pointed out to Timothy. Timothy. For the which cause we also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Paul, you see, had a conviction that was far removed from the circumstances in which he was. Second Corinthians 1, verses 8 through 10 remind us that, again, even in points of death, he had looked to a power outside himself, and even outside authorities, oppressing him, moving him in the direction of the great God whom he loved and served. As you and I close this slide and close this lesson, I hope we've been reminded, among other things, about announcements, both then and now and how that our brothers and sisters in Christ of the long ago suffered so very greatly. And today, as we deal with matters of not only inconvenience, but sometimes of challenge, we're going to stay faithful. We're going to follow those directives of the Word of God, and we're going to, in fact, rest upon the nature of what He's revealed. Let's conclude this lesson with one final slide. We've looked today at, first of all, the church is going to be persecuted. And it is going to meet moments of great challenge. Without a doubt, the devil will ensure that. But not only that, we are promised it will endure and continue. But of course, that will require that we be faithful. Oh, how that faithfulness is such a vital part of what God would wish and demand of us. But then finally, that does give us a proper perspective, doesn't it? in matters of this virus or what may well be its aftermath. And none of us know what that may be. But even in those times when uncertainty can batter about the winds of those who have little or no faith, we must not be in that situation because we have an anchor for our soul. Hebrews 6, verses 19 and 20. And that anchor, as you and I know, maintains the ship in steadfast waters, in waters that otherwise could cause great damage. Jesus is the one that could walk on water, and Peter did too for a little bit. You and I can thus withstand whatever these particular times may bring our way. I trust that our faithfulness will be enhanced, encouraged, motivated, and have the intensity of these particular days. We will look at them through the lens of faith. Today, if there would be in any way a manner in which we could offer assistance or help, prayers of encouragement or strength, it would be our delight to do that. The church is a people who believe in prayer. Again, it was mentioned earlier today, and I think it's on that sheet that our elders distributed to us. May we all be instant in prayer for the situation of this world, for the circumstances touching the matters of the lives of our brothers and sisters in Christ. We certainly wish healthfulness to remain supreme, but we also, of course, wish to always elevate God's will above all else. Even as the Lord prayed, thy will be done and not ours. Matthew 26, verses 39 and 40. This very day, again, as we offer the invitation, a time that we would wish to pray for anyone who would make request of those things. If there is sin in anyone's life and you would wish to make confession of that, because the Lord says that that's what you need to do, as you repent of those things and confess them, He will forgive. And as a wayward child of God, you can come right back home. If, however, you've never become a Christian, you have, in fact, perhaps thought about it, you've given it some consideration, but never, perhaps, have been motivated to follow through, maybe never seen the urgency of it, perhaps this virus, and at least what has begun to happen worldwide, has begun to remind you of how that life upon this planet only lasts a little while, and maybe you want to make your things right with God today. If we could, in fact, help you to do that. Notice it's not our plan of salvation. Human hands have never touched it. It's the Lord's plan. It is He who said, you've got to believe on me. That's Him, of course. Repent of your sins, confess His name, and be baptized. And today, we'd be honored to assist you in that particular area. And you could leave this building today, this particular place, in the safe confines of the arms of the One who can safeguard your soul for all eternity. Today, if we could be of help in any of these ways, won't you come while together we stand and sing?